Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFour in the Ducktown Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. It is Wednesday morning. Jeff Furls. I always like to say Furls. That's the Mississippi way. Furls, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, I've been called furls and foilies and and foilies and foilies everything. Yeah, I've been called a bunch of that. So yeah, as long as they get you know, as long as they get the check sent to the right place, it's all good, huh? <laughs> you know, if you came to the Mississippi Delta, you would be Jeff Furls. Furls, yeah, I've been called all that down there. Yeah, 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 it would be, yeah. I've been down in your area a few times. Have you have you hunted and filmed down here? You know where I hunted and filmed at was in uh oh down past New Orleans. It starts with a B, I think. Uh, oh, God, oh Venice. Venice. I hunted down in Venice. Yeah, I hunted down in Venice down there. And then I hunted uh hey, I to go across the bridge you. there at New Orleans. We went across a ferry boat over there and hunted over in there somewhere. I don't know where that was. We hunted there, but we had it was it was pretty cool, yeah. yeah. See, if you were the, to put you anywhere else in the world besides where you are, I could put you with a bunch of coon asses and I think you'd you'd make it fine back in the day. Oh, I guess I'd fit right in, yeah. And that is, I will say th- one thing about you guys down in there. That is my favorite food in the world. Man, I don't think you can beat you guys the seafood and stuff you got down there. Man, it's good. Love eating down there. I could see you being the life of a party at a at a at a well, ass Cajun party. I could. I don't know. I guess you know. I don't know. When I was. Uh, when I was down there hunting, I had a good time with them. I got some good friends down there. That uh, them guys down in Louisiana and that whole area down there, you'd be surprised how many of them people own ground up here. Deer hunting ground. Oh yeah. They come up here hunting. A lot of them come up here hunting, and they get liking it, so they buy them a farm up here. And man, I know a bunch of them from down there. When they come, always get invited to their big cookhouse. My gosh, they cook a lot of good food. But oh yeah, I have good. They're just down home boys. I love them guys. We've had a good if time you had today. to pick one Cajun dish, if you had to pick one, one that say, "Hey, mm. I want you to cook this." What would it be? I don't know, man. It's really hard to pass up jambalaya anytime, you know. Oh, but yeah. I ain't none of I don't like. I mean, I like everything down there. I mean, ain't nothing better than a good crawdad or shrimp boil or, uh, you know, or 
jambalaya. When I go out a lot, I go order jambalaya a lot, and uh, but that's one of my favorites. But anything with rice in it and and andouille sausage and all that, man. That, what do you call that stuff? Boudin or boudang or boudin boudin. sausage? What do you call that? Boudin. boudin. Man, I love that stuff. I know every time I've been down there, I come home with a cooler full of that. Yeah, I like that stuff. But yeah, I, I, there ain't, I love much, a there ain't good, much down there you have I don't like. Shrimp and grits, gumbo. I love that. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, a good shrimp and grits. Yeah, I, I had. See yeah, you t- see, I'd fit right in. You know, what I had for breakfast morning. I had four fresh brown eggs right out of the chicken with uh, a big pile of grits. That was my breakfast. Food. You are very unusual. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's, it's crazy. As much corn that's that, grown up there, nobody eats grits. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. Now, no, if you say grits, most of them don't know what you're talking about, you know. But, uh, yeah, I was raised on it, man. Let me ask you something. You know, my mom used to do this. It's my favorite way to eat grits, and I ain't had very many people ever heard of it. When she'd make grits, she'd make a big, big pot of them, way more than what you're going to eat today. And then she'd put them in a cake pan and put them about, oh, maybe an inch deep in that cake pan in there and put them in the refrigerator. And then tomorrow... She'd slice them things like bacon and fry them with your eggs on that. Ooh, man, that's the best right there. Do you eat them like that? Fried grits is a it is a secretive society that do that, but it is yeah. unbelievable. If you've never had oh, fried man. grits, you're missing oh, out. Oh, man, just get a crust on each side of them there and put butter on them things. But you better put a screen on your, on your skillet. It'll pop them everywhere. But I've cooked them in the duck blinds. I'll end up the only one eating them. They won't even try them, you know. What the heck are you eating, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I eat I'm them a, a lot. I'm a member of the Oxford Fried Grit Society here. It's it's it's, it's yeah. a pretty secret society. Only a few of us are members of it. Yeah. You know, well, count me in. All, I'm in on it. All joking aside, you know, it's not many people seriously that do or know to do that with unused grits. Yeah, nobody, most of them throw them away, don't they? Yeah, they just yeah. dump them out in the yard. You know, I went to, uh, oh, down in Florida, uh, I full, uh, there for the races, you know, I go down to Daytona 500, and I went down to the races. My buddy lives, uh, he lives down around Naples, or, or uh, Sebring, That's, I'm sorry, Sebring. So I flew into Punta Garda, and we went somewhere around there. I don't know where it was, and, and ate. And I said, and we got in there late. And uh, anyway, went to. He said, "Where do you want to eat?" And I said, "Well, man, I want seafood." So I get down there, you know. So we flew in there and went to this restaurant. It's a nice restaurant, and they had shrimp and uh, shrimp and grit deal there. And I ate these things. This guy and I tell you, I didn't like it. It was a like a. It looked like a salmon patty or something like a cake of grits. And then they put a few shrimp on it, ate shrimp on it, and it was like a brown gravy-like deal on top of it. I don't know, man. I thought he'd rent the thing. But, but anyway, it was, I never ate that before. I don't know if you guys eat that or not. Speaking of traveling, Jeff, let me ask you something before we jump back in the story. Most unusual place that you ever hunted when you were filming, and... Second question, part two is, if you had one last meal, what would it be and why? <laughs> well, um, 
you're going, man, you're really going to think I'm a hillbilly when I end up the meal part. But um, I don't know. Argentina was uh, pretty unusual. And uh, I thought it was unusual in a way because it was uh, number one. I mean, if there's a limit in Argentina, it's because the outfitter put a limit on it, you know, or they limit it to a case of shells or whatever it is, you know, because there's really no law, no license, no anything, really. And uh, that was pretty unusual, the whole way you could hunt there, you know, and it's in uh, all the different type of birds that you killed and all that, you know. But uh, probably... Some of the best places I've hunted, you know, that's just this way, not even a hunting scenario. It's like out in Connecticut where there's little bitty fields and you're hunting. There's towns all around you and stuff. And uh, there's a place in Colorado that I love to hunt out there with Stillwater Outfitters, and they call it Murphy's. And uh, it's right it's right in town, and it's a square. And there is solid traffic around this thing. And it's a cornfield small cornfield they've got two pits on each side of this farm this barn out there and i don't know how many times you and you can't shoot to the left because you throw you know to the left you has to certain place you have to shoot because shoot the geese because it's you know you're gonna throw shot all over the cars you know but it's still zoned you know it's not zoned uh in the city but i know i don't know i couldn't tell you how many times i got up no 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 don't shoot no go what they're right in our face and he goes no you got to shoot them before that you're going to throw shot over there on them cars. I go, man, old man. You know, so, but, uh, yeah, I've been in Michigan before where they've come out and protested against us, you know, and called the cops out there because they didn't like, you know, like you're shooting the geese. And, you know, I've had a lot of different things like that happen. So, yeah, I've had a lot of unusual places like that. But uh, That's uh, got to be a weird feeling, this, though. Yeah, it's not good when you're sitting out there, and, and it usually happens in the early season. And you're shooting, and I mean, I'll give you a good example. I went to Michigan one time, my buddy uh, Scott Geiser. I say one time, mm-hmm. I filmed up there. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my uh, September hunts were filmed up there, and uh, some of us in, you know, in standing corner at a cow pasture next to it or whatever. But he said one night, he said we're going to wait till the night and go. I said where we're going? He goes, we're going out to harbor. Now, when September comes in, that first weekend is Labor Day usually. Okay, so everybody and their dogs out on their on the water, you know, and in New Buffalo, Michigan, is uh, it's right it's right in the Michigan Illinois border. A lot, a lot of Chicago people come there because it's right on Lake Michigan, and it's a cool little town, and you know, but it's but there's a harbor there, and there's a beach. There's like a beach you can go on, but there's a harbor that comes in through these rock walls off of Lake Michigan, and it is perfectly legal to hunt off them rocks where on that inlet where it comes in this harbor. So we take a boat blind out there, put my camera guy, he's in the rocks, in this rock pile behind us in his rock view out there, and I'm saying, dude, we put this in. I said, uh, put the boat in. I said, there's a ton of people out here. Oh, yeah, you just kind of watch it. When a boat or a jet ski comes in, you can't shoot. I said, oh, my gosh. So, anyway, we're sitting there. These people, most of them are city people out of Chicago, you know. And so they're coming there on vacation and stuff. they got the kids over on the beach or stuff. So we're waiting until everything's right, and all of a sudden here comes a pile of geese just, you know, and they're, you know, not tame geese, but, you know, they've been in this harbor for, you know, walking around the beach and crapping on it forever. 
And we go out and then the first bunch that come in, we just tore them up. And, of course, you sailed the cripple. Where do you think the cripple went? He goes over to the beach with all the people. Where do you think my dog goes? On the beach with the people chasing the geese down, people yelling and screaming. Next thing you know, the cops is over there on a loudspeaker telling us not to hunt. My buddy's dad's on the board there. He's screaming back, yes, we are. God bless him, he's dead now. But you know, Bill's yelling out back and forth. I laughed until I was crying. I said, are we going to get thrown in jail when we come back? No, no, we're perfectly legal right here. And, oh, my gosh, the people freaked out, you know. We just <laughs> – but you can imagine you're going to take your family down to this beach out there, and a boat pulls up there, and you're putting decoys out, and they're probably, probably thinking, oh, isn't that nice? They're going to mess with the geese out there and feed them or something. Well, we fed them all right. We fed them some BBs, you know. But uh, <laughs> there's four of us, you know, killing oh. 20 geese. <laughs> this dead geese land, every dog get it, you know. <laughs> So, yeah, I've been hunting in a lot of those type of places. And usually those places are unbelievable good, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a good story. But she's asking me what I would, if I had, I don't know, if I had one meal like that, last meal to eat, it'd take the right person to cook it. But uh, Anywhere from I'm anywhere gonna have in the United to, States. Anywhere. Anywhere in the United States. Well, I could eat it right here. It would be fine. I mean, of course, I mean, I, there's nothing I don't like. I'll be honest with you. I've ate about everything, and there's a handful of things I won't eat. But, I mean, it's, I can eat anything from it, steak, seafood, whatever. But probably if you said this is your last meal, the meat of that last meal would be a mixture of two things. It would be snapping turtle and squirrel brains, wow. squirrel heads. Now, wow. see, I am a hillbilly. Snapping turtle is about my favorite thing to eat. That that wouldn't even that's not even in my top twenty five. Not even in your deal and them squirrel heads I know ain't. <laughs> you ever Bill, eat a squirrel head, Rocky? I have. And they they're good. Squirrel brains are good with eggs. We were yeah, we were just talking about that the other day. Uh my fiance they were telling me you know, we was talking about that and I said with squirrel went across I said, It won't be long. Won't be long, it's August around here. I'll have me about ten of them heads in a crock pot. <laughs> she just shakes her. Snapping turtle's good too. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, snapping turtle's like no, that's probably about my favorite of everything right there. If it's cooked right, you know, if if you know how to cook it, that's my favorite thing there. And, and uh, it's good in soup and all that, but if you fry it and then and then fry it with the crust on a little bit and then put it in the oven and then store it in a crock pot and then, oh man, that's the good stuff. Yeah, I know most most everybody out there listen, but this guy's sick in the head that he wants that for his last meal. I made a turtle hunting video. I made a turtle hunting video called Straight Meat Turtle it. Hunting. Do you? Yeah. 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 You, it, you yeah. sent it to me. That's that's the one thing when we were working, you know, doing some work together. I said I want a copy of that turtle video, and you sent me one. Yeah. Yeah, there's an old boy up here, and we call him Snapper Daniels. Now, this guy here, he can't read or write, but, man, he is a hunter, you know, and a, and a killer. He lived all, he can live off the land. You know, he raised a bunch of kids, didn't have much money. And uh, his deal is catching them snapping turtles. So he kept on me and on me and on me. Now, this was back in 2001, two something like that. We need to film this. We need to film this. You're filming all that stuff. Well, my camera guy... And him were buddies. He'd eat rabbits and stuff about every night with him. And uh, I said, all right, Snapper, we'll go film this thing. I said, we ain't going to make much money on it. 
Well, looking back at the thing, he had a vision. Look at the Turtle Man guy now, you know, all the money he made and everything, you know. So if we would have took this guy, he was a hillbilly as it got, you know. And uh, But the videos got him. We caught him, uh, oh, in the springtime in some backwater. And uh, we caught him wading, and then, you know, you would see where their bubbles are and stuff. And, in fact, it would be real calm out. And, Bill, you probably remember this video. He'd whistle, and them heads would come mm-hmm. up. And then we'd yeah. see them bubbles were that, and you walk out there, you know, and you put your foot up on him, and then you take a rod, and you figure out which, of course, you can't see him. You know, you got your foot on his back, and then you figure out which is the business end. He's biting at that rod and grab the tail and jerk him out of there again. So we caught him that way, and uh, we showed him there. We caught one or two in the river, and then we caught uh, uh, my favorite way to catch is them in the wintertime when the ice freezes clear. I'd go ice skating and find them, and they'll come up to the top, and you can see them underneath there, and they'd take an axe and chop around there because they're kind of dormant, and you can grab them by the tail and bring them out of there, you know. And then in the summertime, like right now, they're in mudded in, you know, they go lay their eggs and stuff, and they'll crawl in the mud. You can see that hump in the mud, and you know, you got to track them under logs and all kind of crap, you know. So that's my <laughs> least favorite way with snakes and everything else out there. I ain't, I ain't want no part of that, but but he doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good eating. But believe, believe it or not, Jeff, uh, turtle soup would be part of my favorite meal. My favorite meal on earth yeah. would be breakfast. At it bread. really is. A big part of that is their turtle soup. Yeah, it's uh, the, there's a lot of, uh, here in a small community, but there's a lot of Catholic church picnics during the summer, and uh, two or three of them always have that turtle soup, man. It's good. It's kind of like a big deal. Who, which church makes the best one, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it's, love that turtle soup. Hey, that just does not sound like Illinois. That sounds like Louisiana. I, I'm, no. I am about half Cajun, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about hey, hillbillies that gets up here. If you live in the Mississippi River bottoms, you pretty much share a kinship north to south. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you live on this island like we do, and you got them look look out the window one way to the river, the Illinois River, and other five minutes the other ways at Mississippi, you're kind of a you're kind of a river rat. So. Well, Bill, hey, if you could have you you knew you were this is your last meal. Have anything flown in from anywhere to eat in the continental United States? What would it be? Well. I wouldn't want mine flown in. It's my last meal, damn it. I want to go there and get it. And, well, you and it can go there and bre- get it. It would be breakfast at Brennan's. And I know exactly what I'd order. Now, where's Brennan's? I know New it may Orleans. sound crazy. New Orleans, okay. Uh-huh. 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 Exactly. I know exactly where it's at. Uh, yep. it, it is my favorite meal in the world, is their breakfast. What's them things they make in New Orleans there? What's that? Uh, What's them things they make down there in New Orleans that New Orleans are so famous for? Them little donut-like deals. uh. Yeah. What's the name of that place that sells There's a fancy place down there that sells them. I've ate a pile of them down there. They they sell them at the French Market. Uh, They sell them at... uh, um, 
Okay, there there are a half dozen, or well, there are more than that places. That yeah, there's now. some place down there. It's pretty big for that, and I guess that's all they got yeah. there. You go there, and it's right off. It's it's like a block off of the main drag here in, in Burbank. Right, Street, right. It's right there at the Prince yeah, like mm-hmm. That's where you're talking about. Have sit down, have yep. them, and stay all day. Um, yeah. If you go into Brennan's, you're going to start, or I'm going to start with a bloody bull and coffee. Then there's going to be uh, turtle soup with some sherry added. Then we're going to order a bottle of Gewurztraminer because this is my last meal. And I'm going to get uh, uh, eggs by Hula Forsch, which is kind of a eggs Benedict type of concoction, but it has Andouille sausage in it instead of Canadian bacon. And then we're going to finish it off with more coffee and some uh, bananas foster. Mm. Mm-mm. And I'm hungry. I'm ready for a nap. I guess I'll die in my sleep. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Where are you going, Rocky? What are you doing? Uh, Man. Anywhere. I know, man. I'm I'm going local. Lusco's in Greenwood, Mississippi. Steak Mm -hmm. in the broil shrimp. That sounds pretty good, man. It's awful good. I don't know. There's not many things that I turn down. See, up here, like the number one thing up here, if you go to a restaurant up here, and everybody, man, I know these guys, especially from Canada and down north, uh, up north, man, they come down here for something, and we go to the restaurant, and they order one order fish or something. Well, they're thinking walleye and north, all this trout, whatever. Well, you order fish here, where I'm at, you're getting catfish or fillets or a whole catfish, catfish fritters, or you're going to get buffalo sides or buffalo fritters. You know what I'm talking about? What a buffalo is? Oh, yeah. Buffalo ribs are big down here. Buffalo ribs are real good, too. Yeah, that's real good, too. Yeah. It's just a uh, lot cleaner version of a carp. And boy, I eat, that's one of my favorite fish. Most people won't eat them. <laughs> they they just haven't tried them. Exactly, and it's it's uh, and then like all oh, like for example, Sunday, uh, Rachel's dad he's in a nursing home. I said, "What do you want for uh, Father's Day?" And he said, "Fish." I said, "You want catfish or buffalo?" Buffalo. So I went over my buddies over a commercial fishman. They just come in, got a bunch of fresh buffalo, and <clears throat> we cleaned them and fried him up some buffalo. So. So we had catfish fritters and buffalo for Father's Day. So. Jeff, the more and more you talk, man, I, I swear that you got a coon ass in you. <laughs> well, I might have, man. I might have. There ain't much. There, you're, I, like I told you at the beginning of this, that food down there is, to, to me, that whole New Orleans area, Louisiana, man, I'm telling you, that is my food there. I love that. Yeah, I just that's one of my that's one of my favorite parts going down there. I'm ready to eat when I get down there. Well, Jeff, look yeah, I, where we, when we left the story last week. Uh, you we went through kind of the time period between immunity, where you found out who had given testimony uh-huh. against you, and you met with your lawyers multiple times, and you're getting ready to head to court. 
Yeah, we're getting ready to. We went to court, and uh, and like I said, I, it's real hard for me to remember all the court dates. And uh, but man, we went to court a bunch of times. But the first time, uh, I don't think I told that story. The first time we went to court, it was over the indictments, and uh, it was about January, February. I was kind of telling you, and we went the first time there. So they was asking. Uh, naturally, they put this off, you know, and. You know, no wonder the court system costs so much. I mean, you go ten times for the same thing. But they keep, you know, postponing it, doing whatever. Well, one of the things they wanted, the feds wanted, though, was take my, you know, hunting rights away. You know, they take my hunting rights Well, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't take it, so they want to take my gun away. So my lawyer gets up and says, <clears throat> look, these are just indictments. He hasn't been charged, you know. This man makes his living with his gun. You know, he guides and runs duck clubs and does all this kind of stuff. And so... uh Oh, man, and then I run my judge was one of these guys that had been guided before. And he says, Mr. Foyles, I see no reason. I've been on guided hunts before. You can guide all you want to, but I see no reason for you to have a gun to be shooting a client's bird or something. So apparently he went somewhere hunting and guide shot his birds or something. So he wasn't having that. And uh, he said, and uh, I'm sitting there with a pencil writing on a piece of paper in big letters, B-O-W, bow, exclamation part, to my lawyer. And so he sees it, and the one that's a hunter, the lawyer was a hunter, saying, he goes, well, oh, your honor, is there, do you have a problem Mr. Foyle's uh, hunting with his bow? And he kind of looked around. He looks at me, and he goes, so just what are you going to hunt with a bow now? The only thing that's coming in is turkey season. And so I stood up, and I said, uh, yes, sir, I won't shoot, you know, I won't be able to hunt with that bow. He goes, so you honestly think you're going to kill a turkey with a bow? Have you ever done that before? He said, yes, sir. Have you ever killed one? I said, several. And so they didn't look. So he looks over at the DNR, and by this time with the feds, and they're looking like this caught them by surprise, so they shrugged their shoulders. So he allowed me to hunt with a bow that spring. So... I made sure in Illinois you could get three tags, and I made sure and killed three here, and I went to Michigan and killed one. So, and I gave all the, <laughs> I gave all, because he didn't think I was going to kill one, I don't think. So I gave all the heads to my buddy, the taxidermist, because I knew he was going to get checked. So I wanted her to know <laughs> that I killed one. But, yeah, I, so actually it was one of the best turkey seasons I ever. I had a blast shooting them with the bow. It's a tough, tough deal. But, long story short, so that was the, that was the first one of the first court dates, and then we went several times after that, and then finally it got down to the nuts and bolts of it, of what you're going to do, and that's when they come out and, uh, you know, they'd made offers and take him away, and we make another one. It, kept, it just went back and forth a million times, you know. In the meantime of all this, uh, my lawyer took, called me and said, well, you got these Canadian charges, now they're charging you. And what they charged me with, so they told me, and uh, I said, well, they, and, and in, all, in all honesty, with what was going on here, the Canadian thing was, that, that's the least of my worries at the time, because at the time, I'm going through a, uh, I'm going through a, uh, a, a terrible divorce, cost me a lot of money, this thing's cost me a lot of money, this whole deal's on your mind, and I had a patent lawsuit at the time that I was going through. So, anyway, it was, uh, everything was clouding. People need to understand, Jeff, that the patent lawsuits, good Lord, cost a fortune in itself. It's it's ridiculous. To uh, and if you want me to tell that story, I will. But 
Please, please, but, because uh, I don't, well, I don't think that people understand patents, Jeff. And I was telling this story actually to somebody last night. A patent doesn't guarantee uh, that you keep in, you know, intellectual property. It just guarantees you the protection that if you go to court, that protection. You still have to pay for a lawyer to protect the patent. I mean, it costs you a freaking fortune. And like me, I have a pa- my patent attorney. I've got some patents on my call, but my patent attorney is is in St. Louis. Well, if you get sued in Wisconsin, where I was, that patent attorney can't go to Wisconsin because they're not. They're you know they're, that's not where they're right. you know, they're not from Wisconsin. They're not a Wisconsin lawyer. You got to have a Wisconsin patent attorney. And oh my gosh, and that's where it starts. And a retainer fee. For a patent on, a, you know, you know, if you're getting sued by one or what by somebody, or you're protect, it's like ten grand. I mean, it's, it, and that's just retainer fee. So, anyway, uh, I'll kind of go through a little bit what it was. I mean, uh, uh, I used to be years ago I was sponsored by Patter Master. Long story short, I did was for years, and we had a little falling out over the deal, and uh, I wanted to build a different tube. So I went to a guy. And he was from out east, and uh, a friend of mine's uncle, this guy makes almost every choke tube there is. And he's the one that made a pattern master at the one, the very first one. And I told him what I wanted. I said, I want one that is consistent, and my idea is wad stoppers would be not wad stoppers, just a concave uh, area in your tube that slows it down and doesn't shock it like a stud does. So... <clears throat> This was the guy that built that, and I knew they had a patent at the time. So I don't want, you know, I don't want to infringe on nothing. But is this good? Oh, it's all good. I took it to my patent attorney. She said it's good, and I'd used her for years, and and we we did good with her. So anyway, long story short, I built the tube, and then I get a cease and desist, and took it to my lawyer, went back and forth, and then all of a sudden I'm get they're suing me for two hundred eighty thousand dollars or something crazy. And so I just kind of laughed. And so I went to her, and she said I took everything to her. <clears throat> and so she calls me back. She goes, well, they've got a uh, patent. And their patent is a very, very detailed patent, uh, the one they had. And so 10 years in this deal, they're done. So anyway, uh, come to find out, she she just gives me a call back. She says, I'm not going to waste much of your money because they haven't paid their patent in three or four years. Paid for their patent in three or four years. Just don't waste your money on it. You're good. All right, we got everything keeps going, and next thing I knew, I'm getting sued in Wisconsin, <clears throat> and this is during the height of all this other crap that's going on, yeah. So this is the last thing on my mind. So that, well, I better get an attorney. Well, you're gonna have to get one out of attorney. So I just started googling it and finding them, and then she finally found me one, and so I called them up, and I think they wanted fifteen thousand dollar retainer fee. I talked them into ten. I sent them a check for ten thousand. I said, here's the deal. They even paid their patent. So, in so many years, you know, however many years it was. And um, so, <clears throat> he said, fine, they go to get the law. And, and what most happens in a patent deal, your attorney that makes the patent, <clears throat> those patents are usually paid by them. And they send you a bill and you pay them. You pay the attorney. That's right. That's right. So, Okay, so they hadn't paid their attorney, so he didn't pay the patent is the way it all got to us. And then you go to find out. So my, I just told my lawyer, I said, go find that attorney. So he does, 
and there goes that client, lawyer, client confidentiality deal. Can't use him. I mean, this has this turned into a, a major, major deal. So by this time, I'll just cut this short real short. It goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Lawyers are wanting more money. Tell them if we go to court, as I swear to God, if we go to court, it could cost you up $50,000 in lawyer fees. They said it's at least 25000 <laughs> Now I'm sitting here thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And most of the time that I ever protected my calls on a patent, uh, you were lucky if you got them to stop making them, let alone pay you for it. You know. That's so, right. Anyway, uh, uh, and they're coming after me hard on this. So I'm lawyered out now. I'm thinking, I ain't no way I can pay this lawyer, pay these lawyers, pay divorce lawyers, pay all this stuff, and it's, everything's crashing at once. So I just told my my buddy that was a lawyer for me in my, you know, in this waterfowl case, I said, dude, look at this, will you? He looked at it and he goes, oh, man, I'll try to make a deal with him. So he did. He goes, look, it's going to cost you this much money, X amount of dollars, whatever. So anyway, I said, I'm not hiring an attorney. I'm just going to go court by myself. He goes, that judge is going to find you in federal court if you go by yourself. I said, well, you have to find me. I'm going to go. He goes, well, do this, this, and this, and this, and this. So I drive to Madison, Wisconsin, and walk into the courtroom. I called the other attorney and got coached by him a little bit before I went in. And so the judge comes in at 9 o'clock, and, and Mr. So-and-so, and Mr. Poyles, yeah, well, Mr. Poyles, where's your attorney? Yeah, I said, well, I'm him. Well, I'm finding you $100 right now for I to have an attorney in here. I said, well, you'll have to find me, but I'm about moneyed out, you know. So I didn't have enough money to pay a, pay a patent attorney. And uh, he said, well, I suggest that you two go back in the back room, have a little conference, and figure this out and try to come up with a deal. But I'm finding you $100, and you'll pay that for you leave here today. So okay. That's a lot cheaper than 20 grand for an attorney. So, <laughs> anyway, we go back in a room, talk to this guy. Some city slicker lawyer, he's going to go back here, and and, and, he, and I said, look, dude, let's just get real with this. I'm not, you know what's all going on with me. My lawyer's done told you guys. You've already got a deal struck. I said, and this is how much I'll pay you right here. So anyway, he he goes, well, I don't know if I'm going to agree with that. I said, we well, can do what you want to because here's what you're going to get. You're either going to get this amount of money. I think it was $50,000. He said, you're either really going to get this amount of money or you get nothing because I'm going to be in prison. Good luck getting it, dude. You know. So anyway, we go back, make the deal, come back. He said, all right, it's good. Let's go back in. Went back in. He goes, uh, Mr. Falls, have you, have you come to an agreement? I said, yes, sir, I think so. And he asked that lawyer, he goes, no, sir, we haven't. I don't think my client will agree to this. And I looked at this guy like he's got, you know. What? <clears throat> And I like you know, who, you know, and and he goes, no, I don't. And I just looked at the, the judge, and he he, of course, he told me not to talk. But I said, he just agreed to this. He just agreed to this back there. And I said, well, I don't know. He goes, well, I'm going to suggest you two figure this out, and I really don't want to see you back in my courtroom. I expect you to you know settle this out out of court. So and he looked at he did look at that guy, and he said uh, that attorney, and he said. I suggest you study up on Mr. Foyles. You may want to make, make this deal. So we started to walk out, and I looked at this guy, and I go, what a snake in the grass. I said, this whole deal is a farce to start with. I said, you're only coming after me because you know I'm down and you're trying to kick me while I'm down. I said, you can't beat me. You didn't pay your deal. I shouldn't even be here. 
I said, and I didn't break your patents. So I said, I shouldn't even be here for none of that. He goes, well, none of that matters. We can go to court if you want to. I said, well, you can do what you want. About this time, this guy comes up in the courtroom. Hi, my name's so-and-so. I'm a federal court mediator. I look at him like, well, all right, what do you do? You know, he goes, I'm his, he says, I settle this. He said, so we don't have to bring his court system's too full now. So, you know, that's what I do. And he looked at that lawyer, and he goes, did you two strike a deal back there, it sounds like. And before the lawyer could ask, I said, well, we did before he walked out here. And he just looked at that guy, and he goes, I suggest you get a deal made fast. Because if you know, because he knew everything about me, what was going on, you know. Of course, it was public knowledge, you know, it was out there. And so we ended up making a deal, got home, made a deal, and so it was over with. But, yeah, so I was going through all that, you know. So, uh, and, that, and that's a strenuous enough in itself, you know. So then, uh, get home, and they, they call me and say, well, Canadian, Canada's got the charges up there. What are they? He told me what they was. How am I? I said, well, what do they want? $15,000, $15,000 fine, no hunting in Canada for three years, lose your hunting right in Canada for three years. And I said, now I'm asking my attorneys back here. This, and my buddy, the attorney up here, he, he wasn't involved, and he just said, then I just said, look, do what you get. So I thought about it a little bit, and I thought, look, i got to make – and I've got to hire an attorney in Edmonton to go over Edmonton, Alberta, to, to go to the courthouse with me. So that's about 2800 bucks on top of everything else. So I figured this all out, $1,000 airfare and all the stuff go up there. My biggest fear was when I went into Canada, they, they, when I got it to, uh, you know, got off the plane, they could arrest me and threw me in jail until the court deal was over. You know, they could have threw it, and that was my biggest fear. And nobody could say they would until I talked to that lawyer that we hired in Canada, and he finally said, dude, if you do, just give me a call. We'll come get you. So I get a certified check for $15,000, and I just and by this time, I just want it done. And what I'm facing down here is so bad and all the rest of the stuff that the 15000 up there is a ton of money, but it's like, let's just get this done. You know, I ain't going to lose my license in the law. I just... Mainly, I just want to be, and we knew in our hearts it was a trumped-up charge, but whatever it is, let's get it over. So, and when you're dealing with Canada, is different than the United States. You know, they don't, it's not a deal. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's totally different. So, we make the deal, get a certified check, got a check, 2800 bucks, whatever it was for the attorney up there, and so I head to Canada. So I get off the plane. And uh, get off the plane, and you know, of course, they ask you what's your business here, and I said I got to go to court. Man, they all I got all eyes on me now, you know. I said, here's what I got, here's my paperwork, here's my check for the fine, here's everything I got. I go to court up there, and I said, you need to go to immigration. So I went to immigration. They pulled them all together and come around. They said, finally, they said, okay, you're good. You're good when you come back to fly back. When you fly back, I said in a couple days. They said, when you come back, show us your paperwork that you paid your fine. You're all good to go. Okay. So I leave, go to the um, lawyer's office, which is right across from the courthouse up there, which the courthouse in Edmonton takes up a whole block. It's a monster. <clears throat> and and uh, biggest one I've ever seen. So I go to the lawyer, and he's a cool dude. He's about, I mean, he was about my age and long hair. And, you know, he's just a super good guy. And I walked in the office, and 
waited for a while, and he comes out. Come on, Mr. Foils. And he looks at me, and he goes, hi, my name's so-and-so. And he wasn't overly happy. <laughs> overly happy. <laughs> Have you, he says, he looks at me, and he says, he threw the papers down, threw, he took his glasses off, threw his papers on the test. He goes, who told you to sign these papers to make this deal, to sign for this deal? He goes, what kind of a lawyer do you have? And I said, well, I feel I'm getting short. He goes, we need to be fighting this. You can beat all this. He goes, this is the most ridiculous thing I ever said. They have no proof on anything here. Plus, this deal of calling undue harm to animals. Look it up. I can't find that nowhere. This is the most trumped up mess I've ever seen. He goes, I don't even think I'm going to uh, go over there. He goes, you're going to make me look like an idiot. And I said, well, this is the first I heard that, you know, and he kept going back and forth, back and forth. He read all the stuff off and went back and forth. And I finally said, dude, <clears throat> I come up here. I just want to pay this and get it over, get my life out of here, get serve my time at home, get all this done. I can't hunt for three years anyway for the deal I made down there. And, you know, so I want to get it over. He goes, well, it's against my better judgment. That's what you want. You paid me some. So anyway. All right. Well, we got to be at court tomorrow morning at 9 or whatever. Should so be up here, you know. I'll meet you at the court courthouse, you know. Don't go inside. Don't do anything. Don't talk to nobody. Just be outside. Okay. So I hung around and jacked around in Edmonton all day. It's a beautiful city. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's an awesome city. And uh, so I take off and I go eat that dinner dinner night and said hotel. And next day, here I go and I head for the. Uh, courthouse and i figured out it's park at the lawyer's place and i'm i'm following a green tahoe an army green looking tahoe and boy i mean this flags it and weird license plate you know because a different license plate up there anyway but it's a different I said, what is isn't there's like four guys in this tahoe and where do they park now edmonton's a big city how i got behind these guys i have no clue but edmonton's a big city and they park right there but just right by my lawyer's office, I pull in behind him. Who do you think those four guys was getting out of that car? Federal agents? I forget what they call them up there, but it was four guys in green Mounties? suits. CMP. Uh, well, yeah. they, were all, they were all like game wardens up there, you know. Okay. So they get out, and I'm standing there looking at them. They're looking at me. There was a great big, you know, way overweight, <clears throat> sit by the desk behind one of them, two and he gets out and says, uh, he said, Mr. Foyles, I said, hey, I don't know where I'm going. I'll just follow you guys. I figured you're here for me. And they just looked at me funny. And three of them was like muscle-built, great big guys and all this. So, so I thought, what is the, what is these guys doing here? You know. So away we went, go up to the courtroom. And we're outside the courtroom, and there's seats out there, and these four guys sitting down over there. So I'm sitting over there to the side. I'm standing over there to the side, just kind of checking this all out, waiting on my attorney, thinking he can't get here fast enough. And now I see, uh, oh, gosh dang it, I can't think of it. There's the Edmonton Journal guy. I've seen him walk by, uh, seen the guy with the camera crew guy come with a camera up there from that Canadian TV, CATV, and all of them going in and all this. And I thought, man, there must be a murder or something in here, you know. I'm going to get, you know, I sure didn't think it was me. About that time, I'm standing there, and these guys are across from me, and this big heavy set guy gets up. And walks over to me over there, and he goes, uh, how you doing, Mr. Foyles? 
I said, not so good or I wouldn't be here. And uh, he goes, remember me? Nope. I don't remember you, man. Oh, yeah, you do. Sure you do. Remember me from years ago? You know, I ran into you in the airport in uh, Saskatoon. And I said, no, nah. oh, sure you do. I said, but I meet a lot of people. I don't, know who, I don't know who you are. And he goes, you were coming there to pick up a hunter, one of your buddies or something, and Fred Zink pulled in there. It was flew in at the same time he did, and you guys sat there and talked, and I said hello to you guys, and away we went. I said, dude, I don't remember. You know, and I, that kind of irritated him that I didn't remember him, I guess, like I'm supposed to. And I said, no, dude, I don't remember you. And I said, but is there a reason you're here? He goes, yeah, we're going to fingerprint you. Fingerprint you and mugshot you sooner this is all over. I need to take you across the street and get all this done, blah, 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 blah. About that time, my attorney shows up, grabs me down. He goes, don't talk to these guys. He's looking at me. Don't be talking to my client. And brought me over side. He goes, don't talk to them guys. I said, well, they told me I got to get mugshot. He says, you ain't getting nothing. He says, come on, let's go in the courtroom. Go in the courtroom. Now, they have a magistrate, not a judge. So it's a lady sitting way up on a high pedestal, like at a desk. And the lady wore glasses, one of them deals with glasses with the chains on them, you know, where they look down their nose at them, you know. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, <laughs> <laughs> So the first guy comes in there, they bring him in and cuffs and stuff, and he comes in shackles and bring him in. You can tell he's in an orange suit or whatever, and he comes in. And this guy had stabbed somebody in the park at Edmonton up there nine months ago. And anyway, he he had to pay a fine. He would served his time in there, and, you know, and he's getting out with probation or whatever he's got. And I'm, I'm sitting there looking at this, and, man, that's pretty lenient for stabbing somebody in a park, and this is over at killing a duck. Maybe I should have listened to this guy. So my case comes up. <laughs> it is, you know, Alberta, Canada, you know, against Jeff Foyles, and, you know, and blah, 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 and they tell all this, and uh, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm standing up, and the judge is, uh, she's looking at this magistrate, looking down at these papers, looking down her nose, looks up at me, looks down at him, long, long time. And what's going on? She goes, Mr. Foyles, first of all, I might just thank you for coming up to Canada uh, for these charges, because this is a non-extraditable offense, and you could have not just showed up and saved yourself a lot of time and trouble right here, just not came back. And uh, can I ask you why you didn't do that? And I said, well, I want to hunt up here again. I like it up here. Well, thank you, Mr. Foyles. She goes, now, she took a hesitation. She goes, can I ask you a question? She pulls the glasses off. She goes, and be honest with me. Did your lawyer tell you to sign these papers? And that's just the attitude she said it in. I said, no, ma'am. Well... Did he advise you to, advise you not to? What kind of advice did your lawyer give you? I said, well, ma'am, he told me not to. He almost didn't take my case. Why didn't you listen to your lawyer? And I said, well, I don't know. I, this deal was made before. She goes, Mr. Foles, I'm not sure I'm going to take this. I'm going to let this happen. Wow. And I said, is there something more? She goes, no, there's nothing more. I can't believe you took this. You did this. You know, and I said, well... She goes, tell me why you came all the way up here and going to agree to pay this fine. Why did you do this? I said, ma'am, it's real simple. She said, did you agree with these charges? I said, not one of them. Then why did you do it? This was a big question and answer back and forth. I said, ma'am, let me tell you something. It cost me $1,000 for a flight up here. I've got a couple hundred bucks in a hotel. I've got a couple hundred bucks in a rental car. I've got $3,000 almost in this attorney right here. 
I said, I've got way more than that an attorney back home. And if i got to keep coming back and forth up here and to, and to fight this in court, it's going to cost me a lot more than $15,000 when I'm done. And I can't hunt for three years regardless. I can't hunt anywhere the feds down there. She goes, oh, I know that. And she said, so you did it because it was the easiest way out. You just wanted it off your back. I said, yes, I did. She said, well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Foyles. If you want to do that, I'll accept it. It's not my advice for you to take this. But I'll accept it. That's what you want to do. Did you bring I said, ma'am, I got a certified check right here for 15000 So he goes, well, I'll tell you what, Mr. Foyles, you serve your time. I wish you the best, and you're welcome to come back in Canada as soon as your time is done. And I go, okay, thank you. So the lawyer looks at me and goes, I told you so. And I'm sitting there now going, why didn't I fight this dang thing up here? So anyway, got it done. As soon as this happens, the TV crew, here they come, all of them, reporters. Now this is coming out of the woodwork everywhere around me, circle me, the lawyers pulling me away, and here comes... Here comes the big muscle-bound one of them. He goes, you need to go with me, Mr. Foyles. We've got to go across the street. He grabs by the arm. My attorney grabbed his arm, took it off, and said, you leave that man alone. He's going nowhere. Well, we got to fingerprint him and all that. He goes, did you just hear that, magistrate? Do you want me to go back in there and tell them that you're going to grab him and this man after he come up here and did all this? Did you not listen to her? And he said to her, he says, I'll go back in there right now. We can have her tell you to keep your hands off of him. You're not doing nothing. So... They backed off, and away they went. The game wardens left, and uh, here come a TV crew. So, Why, went, what was what was the purpose of wanting to fingerprint you and take the mugshot? Well, them? I guess they figured they. I don't know if they, they figured they. I don't know. They want to make a big deal out of it. I guess who knows? But, it, but it, it's wouldn't. probably procedure. You know, it's probably the well. It's probably procedure if you're. You know. But if yeah. you're like the other guy in there that stabs him in the park. <laughs> now, listen, I got plenty. When it, when they put the, mis- or, uh, the charges on me, I've had so many mug shots and fingerprints and tell them how many tattoos I got. And if I got a new one, what it was, oh, I've had it all. They got they know they know every piece of me. But <laughs> So we got away with this. So my lawyer goes, dude, I got something else to take care of. Go down to that cafeteria. He goes, I just looked out the window out there, and they've got a TV deal. You know how they got that big thing up in the air, you know, I said, I don't know what it is, for satellite deal for TV when they're interviewing somebody, and they had that, yeah. they had all kinds of there's people everywhere, I go, them coming out, he goes, they're wanting your, you know, picture and all that, so, went down to the house, he said, just go have a coffee and relax, maybe they'll leave, okay, so I did that, I looked out, it was all glass windows, it was about a three or four story big deal, I looked out, and here they come around the windows looking at me, I turned around, went out the back with my coffee, so they couldn't see me. Anyway, finally, we're standing up there, standing up there, waiting and waiting and waiting. And that. I told that lawyer, I go, look, you got better things to do. I do, too. I'm going to enjoy the rest of my day here. I fly out tomorrow morning. I'm, you know, So <clears throat> let's get out of here. I don't care. I've had my picture taken up, whatever. Can't be too bad. It's in Canada. Boy, was I wrong. So I said, I'll just put my sunglasses <laughs> on, and we're out of here. So I put my sunglasses on, and that's the picture you've seen, you know, the white sunglasses on which was the deal at the time, you know. And uh, out the door we went, and bang, they were everywhere, you know. It was all I could do to get to the vehicle, you know, ask, you know, ask, trying to ask questions and stuff. So then the next day I'm in, on the news that night. I'm in, uh, you know, I'm on the front page of, you know, man pleads guilty to undo harm animals and blah, blah, Pete is up there. Uh, it was just a disaster. You know, I couldn't believe it. So I almost One stopped the- to the airport. 
one of the most famous photos of Jeff Foles ever. I guess. I guess. I don't know. And, and you know, you asked me a question last, last week about the courts and what I wear and why did you pick what you wore and all this here. When they bury me, I'll be in blue jeans, maybe a camo shirt, or probably a nice shirt and a jacket. I never will I have a tie on. I don't wear a tie to nothing. I wore one to my daughter's wedding. That's it. And it's off 10 minutes later. I was an iron worker for 24 years. You learn every knot there is to tie. That I can tie every knot. You can, you can name it, and I can tie it because we had to learn that. I can't tie a tie. I don't want to learn how to tie. I don't like it. I don't care who does. I think they look pretty cool. They choke me, and I just don't like it. It's not my attire. So that's just what I wore. And, oh, well, look, he had a Harley shirt on. Well, it was a nice white Harley shirt. I guarantee you that white Harley shirt costs more than your polo shirt you bought at the famous bar where we bought it, you know, so or Dillard's or wherever, you know what I'm saying? So that's just what I wear, you know. It's like it's no different than I like face paint and Bill Don't. That's just what I wear, you know. Right. So anyway, boy, that was a I, I was like, why is this such a big deal? Then somebody said, well, he should have, you know, respect the court and wear a suit and all that. Is there a law somewhere that tells you how you got to dress when you go in there? You go to court where I live right here? The attorneys will have that on. There ain't nobody goes in there has that on. Everybody's in there's in blue jeans and a t-shirt. Most of them, you know. I mean, I, I don't know. It's just this. That's just me. I didn't try to disrespect anybody. To me, that was dressed up. So. Well, anyway. you had attorneys, and if the attorneys felt what you were wearing was inappropriate, they would have said so for that court and that judge. They they knew me. You know, they knew I, you know who I was. But they knew that judge too, and they'll generally know if a judge look. This one you've got to put on a show, or this one go as you are, and you're uh-huh. better off. You know, different ones are different, just like the well, rest of. I guess whatever you know. I figured so, I'm, you know, I'm not going in there for a crime for some corporate business deal that I, that I'm a suit and tie guy. I'm going in there for shooting ducks. I mean, if I want to wear <laughs> camouflage in there. I guess I would. You know. <laughs> So anyway, I, hey, what's different? What's different than me doing that? And, and and I love this guy to death. But what's different to me is that Phil Robertson going in the Church of Jesus Christ with camouflage on. Oh, I, let alone a judge. Well, I, I don't appreciate that at all. But you know, that's his business. That's between him and God. I don't think I, God really cares. But uh, no, I don't either. But what yeah, I'm just, saying, if, I just if grew up somebody I'm dressed up, up for church, and that feels right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So whatever anybody wants to wear. So. Hmm. Anyway. Hey, can I can I back up on the patent thing real quick, guys? Um, sure. Because, Jeff, I'm Go sure ahead. just like I'm sure you share this with me, that the, a lot of people over the years come to you and say, you know, I have this product idea and I need to get a patent. And just for people, I guarantee you someone listening out there either has a product idea and they're wondering about this right now or they will at some point. And y'all pay attention. Uh, first thing you do, if you think you want to get a patent on something, find the best intellectual property attorney in your region of the country. Call them and ask how much it's going to cost just to meet with them to talk about the patent. Uh-huh. If that sounds uh-huh. expensive, forget getting a patent because you will never spend the money required to defend it. Right. Uh-huh. Here's here's a good example of that. And Bill was there doing this. Um, 
if you have a if you have something like that and you have a product that you don't want somebody to steal from you and you want to go show it to a manufacturer to make this for you and you're scared they're going to steal it before you put the money out for a patent i can't think of the name of this and it's on the tip of my tongue you can go get a cheaper version of that that protects you at that point i can't it's like a pre patent it's not pre patent but it's something to that you follow what i'm saying there is a paper you can get that they cannot steal your idea right then if you already filed this Temporary. And the reason I brought Bill in this is Bill. Right. Bill, if you remember, I come down to Avery one time with a boat blind, and Mm -hmm. I had that pre-patent thing. I didn't. And I had that patent thing later. But but anyway, I come down there. I had that, and I had that, and I showed everybody that before I went in there. Yeah. Because I didn't trust Matthews. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's uh. But that's something people need to understand. And a patent is not a right. magic document, and it costs more to defend it than it costs to get it. And if you cheap out exactly. on the front end or do anything wrong on the front end, everything you have spent is worthless. It is a, it's an intense process if you want to make it right. So, let's. I'll give you the best example of a patent. I, I may have brought this up one other time. Was uh, provisional, Jeff? Is what provisional? Provisional. Yeah, yep. that's yeah, exactly. It's a one year. Exactly. Yeah. Best deal on a patent I know of, and and is um, and and Bill knows this guy's name, John Bolin, with those landers he made. Yep. And I brought this up, I think, one other time about it, you know. And basically, John got a patent as the knot on that patent. It's the same knot used on a uh, officer's uh, that that little piece of rope goes across the shoulder of an officer's jacket. And he took that braid and made it into a lanyard, and that's how he patented it. The patent showed that not being used into a lanyard to hold duck and goose calls or whatever. And it was uh, he had the same patent lawyer I had. He paid a lot of money for that patent. And today, almost everyone out there has copied that braid and copied yep. that lanyard. I mean, a ton of people have copied And he finally went out of business. It was too much to protect it. You couldn't do it. Yeah. Hey, it's yeah. money you're out. You can't do it. So. Well, the the, so, the, okay. the steps, too, I think that people should understand, too, though, you know, you can file a provisional patent or you can apply for the full mm-hmm. patent. Okay, you got a year that you're protected. Mm-hmm. Um, then, after either, either or, you still have to, your lawyer has to perform a patent search. You're right, going to pay exactly. for that. That's three to 5000 to yep. do that. Yep, yep. And then the thing about it is the thing that a lot of people don't understand, there's a one- to three-year window that somebody else could have filed. It's not like these things are filed mm-hmm. and they're instantly put into the system and they come right. up on a patent search. They could be one mm-hmm. to three years out before before ever showing up in the system so you could have filed a patent on something that's already been filed. You could have done that or something else you could have done. You could have went ahead and got this patent. The patent comes out on it, and here comes Joe Blow down the street that made a call or whatever this piece is that you were patenting, and he made that four or five years ago and advertised that publicly and brings that out. I've already had this thing, and you're down to two. Yep. That wow. guy wants to push you hard enough, it's over. Yep. So, yeah, and 
you know, and it's and there's very, I mean, and it's so hard. I mean, every time I got, you know, they knocked off my call call a bunch, and and the looks of it, what it was, you know, I didn't I didn't do the insides of it, I did the outside look of it because I knew that's what they tried to copy. But every time I said, okay, so and so's got a, um, you know, I was I was at my, I give you a good example, I was at my waterfowl weekend, my place. He's on my turf, okay? We have a waterfowl weekend. I had another big tent set up with vendors, and I sold spaces out to vendors, and it used to be full. And so that morning, I, you know, I'm getting everything ready. You know, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm running around there, checking my head, cut off, and about before the contest, I thought I better go, you know, thanks all the vendors and talk to them, tell them if they need anything. I'm walking down through there, and I'm going, I see this guy three booze up there, caught my eye. There's a bunch of ivory, look like straight beat honkers sitting on his deal. Pile of them. Uh, who is this guy? Why would he be one of my dealers? Uh, at the time, I had a ton of dealers, because it could have been anybody. I'm thinking, why would this dealer come down here in my place trying to sell these calls? I think that's pretty stupid. So <clears throat> anyway, I kept walking. I walk in. I go, look at this thing. And I could tell by the look of it. Then it wasn't a, he had it copied really good, but it was a, the finish wasn't very good, you know, and all that. It was cheap made. And I go, these are your calls? Yes, sir. He's smiling. How you doing, Jeff? I said, dude, we have a problem here. You know? And he goes, well, what's the problem? I said, these calls. You copied my call. Yeah. He said, well, you know, my boy blows them in a contest and stuff, you know, and he wanted to build something, so we just built something. I figured I'd just go and sell some of them. I said, you can't do that. You can't sell them calls there. Did you sell any of these yet this morning? Yeah, a guy bought one. How much you get for them things? Seventy-five bucks. Really? Half my price. Okay, I'll tell you what you can do. Now that you sold that guy, who'd you sell it to? That guy right over there. Okay. So I just started taking I went in, got the camera, come back out. Well, I actually told my cameraman to go out there, and I said, take a bunch of pictures of this. And I went over there and said, now you can pack this stuff up. I'm going to pack it up for you. One, two, and you get out of here. So I, well, we're going to keep making them. You, know, you go right ahead, but you ain't going to make them here. So we'll see about that. Well, it wasn't quite this nice. But uh, <laughs> I called my patent attorney. cost me 600 bucks. I sent Pay the attorney's fee. You never get that. Never do you get that. So, All right, hey, back. We lost yeah, you just a second. Back up. You you paid six hundred dollars in what now? Six hundred dollars for her to send a letter to that guy, telling yep. him to cease and desist. You know, and then we the letter also said you owe us attorney fees. You know, and you owe us for this call and all blah 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 and you know. So, yeah. Oh, I've had to protect that thing a ton of times, a bunch of times. I've got calls. I've got calls. I've got inserts. I've got all kind of pieces that they, may, you know, I told her I want them to send them all to me, you know, and stuff. But, yeah, you, you, I've never once got them to pay the attorney's fees or got anything more than just to stop. I'll throw out one last thing, and we'll get back to interesting stuff. But, folks, if if you like looking, digging around online for information, if you think there's a product that ought to be made, go to the U.S. Patent Office, and you can actually do searches in there in, within the mm-hmm. Patent Office website. And by entering keywords and that sort of thing, it's amazing the products that you've never seen in, in production that are patented. We, we had a guy come in that had 27 product ideas he wanted to sell us on. And I'll never forget one of them. He says, I can't believe no one's ever made this, but it's a it, a dog-proof uh, container 
for rat poison. Well, I'm just sitting there on my wow. computer. He's talking to Matthews, and I'm clicking around. I said, there are seven different patents for that. Mm-hmm. It, took, it took me about wow. three minutes. You know, every product he had was patented. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there yeah. may be a workaround, but every one of them, someone else was doing. So, right. uh, it, and it, name generally, it's a good idea if somebody's patented something close. Yeah. But what everybody needs, these patents don't last forever. No. It ain't a forever no. deal either. So. Yeah. No. And that was the heck with the patent lawsuit I was in. I was four months. What they did was, and that's something else you can do. Like, like I was telling you, they didn't pay up their patent. What do you think they do soon as soon as we got the attorney and going to fight them? They went in and paid it up then. That's okay. You can be behind like that, and, and if I did it during the time of behind, still they can pay it up and you're good. And that's what they did. The patent went out six months later. It was over. Done. So I was six months of getting out of that. So anyway. <clears throat> But hey, messing Jeff. with patents is a very, very expensive thing. Before we go into U.S. court next week, because I'm sure that's where kind of where we're headed to next week, but at this point, emotionally, and we end on a deep note, where were you psychologically and emotionally as a human being? Not just as a guy. You know, guys are, oh, man, I was okay. You know, I wasn't worried about it. But seriously, at the end of the day, when you sat in that rocking chair on the front porch and all this weight of the world is on top of you, where were you, man? You had to be just about going crazy. Well, I had a lot of drinks, I can tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, you, didn't, you don't sleep. It's, 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 it, there's so much. And what's worse, it's not one thing, it's ten things. And then a lot of that worry is, is what happens when I go away? What happens to all my stuff? What happens to all this stuff, you know? And, uh, you know, just what's going to happen here? And you got your kids working there and all this. And what's going to happen to them? And what happens to this? You know, it was just, and I was, I fought. I fought so hard. And that's why I never did. And I probably should have at that moment. If I had to go back in time, I probably would have shut the whole operation down at that time. I probably just shut her down right at that time. And today I'd been better off I would, and then come out and fired it back up, and and you know that's that's what I should have done, but I didn't. Cost me a lot of um, money being bullheaded and trying to just keep trudging through, you know. But um, yeah, and it's not only what you're, what it's, it's not only the divorce, the 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 uh, you know now I've got a divorce, along with the divorce, you know, you know I got a deal with this drunks and and drugs and all this and my kids stay in there and i'm trying to get him and and i did you know and i ended up i'm battling to get him and all this and i've got you know the guy at work for me and all that you know my kid catching them with an eight ball of cocaine and laughing because it was my child support you know you know and he went through the roof you know but i mean it was it, all this combined with all this other stuff plus the internet beating me like a drum you know and that alone's enough because that's something you can't do, you know. I mean, a guy across the street, if he's, you know, and I'll use this phrase, you know, and I should, shouldn't, but, but if he's got balls enough to say this and come across the street, you can take care of that. These guys are, you know, hiding behind a computer. It's pretty easy to say anything you want, you know, and you can't get at that. And you can't anyway because you've got all these, you know, you're in enough trouble where it is, you know. It's just, it was just a combination of uh, all and uh 
you know, everything, and then the bills and all this. And, my, and in the meantime, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, it's just what do you do? If I ha- and I'm trying to do everything in the world to get 13 months paid up, you know, for my boy to be okay at the house at, at 18 years old and all this, taking care of everything, you know. I mean, it's just, it, it, yeah, it's just a <clears throat> lot, lot going through your head. And then it's got to be a dark. It's got to be a dark cloud over you. Yeah, and then it's the then it's the thought of, uh, you know, it's the thought of not knowing what that thirteen months is going to be like. What's knowing not what that first five minutes is going to be like in there. What what any of that's going to be, you know. But that was probably the least of my concern at the time, you know. But uh, yeah, it was uh, a lot of sleepless nights, you know, and a lot of early morning headaches. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it was uh, it was tough. Time. It was pretty tough. You know, this mm. there was just never anything positive. Nothing. You know, it was just all you needed was a positive thing. And it, you know, and at the time, and I'll just barely hit on this right now. <clears throat> you know, I was a you know I was born and raised a Catholic and went went to Catholic grade school and the nuns beat on me like a drum and you know and my sisters uh, my whole family is and my sister was forty years as a principal in a Catholic school and all this here and. And uh, but I'd been through uh, divorce now and all that, and you're kind of a black sheep there then. And uh, so I wasn't going. I wasn't going to church, so I didn't have. I wouldn't say I totally didn't have God in my life, but I didn't. I didn't even know how. I didn't even know how to reach Him. You know, I'm saying I was just lost. I didn't. You know, had I turned this around and know what I know today, which I'll tell more at the end of this, uh, it would have been a lot easier with having Him on my side. You know. You know, knowing right. that. So, so, um, so yeah, it was a pretty tough time, and uh, probably the preparation. I mean, you guys think about this. Just everybody, just stop and think about this. Your whole everything just stopped. Now, I'm not. I'm not laying blame. I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm just. You know, I, I've said a million times. I did this, this, and this, and, and you know, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not totally innocent, but I come out of this area at all. But no matter innocent, guilty, whatever you are, that doesn't matter. Just put the, no matter what's going to happen, you're getting ready to go away for 13 months of your life. Now, you just stop and think, if somebody told you today, two months from now you're going to go away for 13 months, you're going to be gone for 13 months and prepare for that. How could you mentally, financially, all that prepare for 13 months being gone? That's enough to drive you crazy right there. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That was a tough one. You know, that's probably the the toughest of all. Of it. You know, I was trying to think that, and then I just got my son back, and he's seventeen, eighteen years old, and he's taking care of that house. He took care of that house for thirteen months. You know, so you know, and he was the head of the house. I was at seventeen, eighteen years old. Of course, I got married for you know the girls' mom when I was seventeen, so I kind of get it. But he wasn't prepared for it. So, right. Well, well, we will dive back off into that next week with the U.S. court sentencing and talk a little bit more about preparing to go to go to prison. Maybe even jump yeah, off into uh, those first as few I days say, head for Marion to go to college. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I always say, yeah, when I was in college. <laughs> wow, in Marion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will jump and back in into the meantime, that. What I would like for everyone to do is, 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 uh, I mean, if they're if they're interested enough or whatever, 
between now and next week, for listen to the next podcast, Google prisoners who've been in Marion, Illinois, fed, federal prison. Just Google that, what type of prison it is. That was all the gangsters, wasn't it? Excuse me? Wasn't that where all the old gangsters went back in the day? Well, when when Alcatraz shut down, when Alcatraz shut down, that's Marion was built for Alcatraz. In fact, um, the sinks, the sinks, and a lot of this. There's a lot of stuff there uh, from Alcatraz. A lot of stuff from Alcatraz is in that uh, Marion prison. They shipped over, hmm. but those prisoners all came from Alcatraz. Gotcha. So, and the most famous one you'll look up and see there probably was John Gotti. That's where he spent all his last days, Marion. Wow. Mm. And now, yeah, now it's uh, uh, now it's mostly uh, you know the the bigger prison in Marion is, is uh, uh, child molesters, and at the time I was there, it was a lot of there. In the, there's two different prisons there, but in the, in the 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 main one over there is. Uh, uh, child molesters and terrorists. So, a lot of that there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's it. Well, child yeah, molesters, terrorists, you. duck hunters. <laughs> well, thank you again for being here this week. Bill, thank you for being here. I want to thank all of you because, I man, I'm looking forward to next week. I want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line Podcast Power. By DuckSouth.com. <laughs>